Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 26th, 2020, we continue our series titled The Parables. Today's sermon, The Good Samaritan, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Enjoy. We are in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard that phrase before, the Good Samaritan. What that means is typically when an individual steps up to do something good, when something good uh, wasn't expected. Uh, I got to experience my own Good Samaritan story just a couple weeks ago. No, I was not the Good Samaritan, but I got to be the recipient of a Good Samaritan. See, it was my wife's birthday, July 11th. Happy birthday, babe. I love you. Uh, and we were going to pick up some donuts from a bakery. So it was me and Audrey. We stand in the line. We buy way too much stuff because that's what you do when you go to a bakery. You shouldn't go to a bakery anyway. So when you do, you might as well go crazy, right? So I've got a couple boxes of donuts. I've got a couple of boxes of these other things called like crackling in there. These Dutch pastries, they are amazing. And Audrey has got just a little baggie full of cinnamon rolls. And she's wearing like her slippers still and she's wearing princess pajamas because why not? We just didn't get ready yet. And we're walking and stuff is great and we're in the parking lot. Everything's going great until she misses a curb. And I kid you not, it's one of those things that happen like slow motion in the movie. She takes one step and as I turn, all I see is this like, And like the cinnamon rolls go flying through the air. Both of her feet leave the floor and she's just flying through the air. Finally, she hits and she like scrapes up and bloodies both knees. And I'm like trying to figure out what do I hold? Do I keep the donuts? Do I pick up the other things? Do I take my kid? Like what do I do in this situation? And if you're a parent, you've done this thing, right? Where you have like your hands totally full, but you're trying to get down into like the low, let me help my kid posture too. So now I'm balancing two boxes of donuts and a couple boxes of pastries on top of it. While my daughter's like, so now I've got a kid, some donuts, trying to hold the cinnamon rolls. I'm out of breath, just like I kind of am right now. And everyone's just watching. It's not like they're ignorant to what's going on. They see what's happening. They see me struggling. They see my daughter with blood like down her legs. They see me trying to balance everything. And people are just cool with it. They're just, oh, 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 that's so sad. Like, come on, do something. And then finally, one couple comes up and they say, let me help you. And I'm a pretty stubborn guy, so I'm like, I got it. Right, like two, four boxes, extra bags, kid around, like, I got it. And they're like, no, seriously, let me, let me help you. So I'm thinking like, okay, can you carry the, just carry the cinnamon rolls. No, they, they take all my stuff so I can take my daughter and they say, where are you parked? And we walk across the, big, the busy parking lot, they take my keys, they open my car, they put everything in, they close the door so I can get my kid loaded. Then they throw me the keys back, and I'm like, what, what type of love is that? What type of caring for an individual you never met is that? And, and the type of caring that is is the type of caring we see in the story this morning, the story of the good Samaritans. So like I said, Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and get that out and follow along with me. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you'll live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied, and this is our parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let me pray. God, thank you for this story. Thank you for this interaction between your son and a lawyer. God, we thank you for the principles it teaches us. Um, God, would we take these principles to heart this morning? Would we know that your son Jesus is the only way that we might enter into right relationship with you? May we embrace that love, and then as we understand that love, would we give that kind of love away freely to whoever you put in our path? God, we love you and praise you and give you all the glory, and it's in the name of your son Jesus we pray, amen. There's three points to our sermon this morning that'll lead us through the passage. The first point is this, a question we must ask. A question we must ask. We see the question in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that being Jesus, to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a good question. This is a question that all of us needs to ask, hopefully sooner rather than later. We need to ask the question, what do I gotta do to inherit eternal life? And there's a reason we ask this question. If we look back in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says this, he, that's God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He's written it on our hearts, so we long for eternity, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. He's put eternity on our hearts in such a way that it creates curiosity for us to go and find the big answers to the big questions that we ask. The big questions like, what's the purpose of life? What am I here for? How did we get here? Where did we come from? What happens when I die? Or the specific question the lawyer asks, what do I need to do to have eternal life? what we see in his questioning from this lawyer is that his questioning is not sincere, right? He's not the sincere seeker. He's actually an insincere critic. In verse 25, it says he's asking these questions to test Jesus, to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus, maybe just to see if Jesus knows his stuff. Jesus says to him in verse 26, he, Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Which I love the way Jesus responds to this question, right? He flips it right back on the questioner. This is something we do with our kids, right? Daddy, where does the moon come from? And just because I want to know what's in their head, I say, where, where do you think the moon comes from? So we can have a better conversation. Daddy, why do flowers spread the way they spread? I actually don't know the answer to that question, so I just put it back on them. I don't know. Why do you think flowers spread the way that they spread? This is what Jesus does. He asks the question back to him. 
Now it's an interesting answer that Jesus gives him because elsewhere we see Jesus responding with gospel to this question, but here he responds with law. Some other instances instances that Jesus has with questioners, to Nicodemus, Jesus said this, the way to eternal life, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16, right? Maybe you've heard it before, that he gave his only son, and here's how you get eternal life, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here to Nicodemus, Jesus says, believe in me and you shall inherit eternal life. Or to the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, this physical water, they're sitting around a well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How does Jesus say you get eternal life here? You should trust in me. You trust in what I have to offer instead of what the world has to offer. The lawyer says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to the law. Elsewhere, Jesus turns straight to the gospel. John chapter five, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't point them to law. He points them straight to gospel. To these people, Jesus says, trust in me. To the lawyer, Jesus says, follow the law. Now, why would he do such a thing? Well, here here is why this is different. Jesus gives answers in response to the intent in which the question's asked. Let me say it again. Jesus gives answers in response to the intent in which the question's asked. So to people who were sincerely seeking Jesus and asking questions, He gave them gospel, said here is the way to eternal life, but those who sought to just trick him and those who sought to just trap him, those who were insincere skeptics and critics, he responded with law. He wanted them to see that they were guilty concerning the law of God, and then he could present them with gospel. So Jesus gives the lawyer law, not gospel, to help the lawyer realize he's actually a lawbreaker. He's not a law keeper, he's actually a law breaker and he needs to be shown he has a need for the grace of Jesus in his life, that he can't just stand up under his own good deeds, that he can't just trust in the things that he has done, that he can't just trust in his own knowledge of right and wrong, but he needs to trust in the person of Jesus. So Jesus asked him the question, what's written in the law, how do you read it? And he, in verse 27, the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy completely nails it, right? Like he's even quoting Bible verses. Deuteronomy chapter six, love the Lord your God with everything that you've got. Leviticus 19, verse 18, and love your neighbor as yourself. I imagine when he answers this question, he kind of puffs his chest up like the cocky kid in class who's good at the spelling bee, and he answers correctly and then looks around so everyone can see how great this guy is. This is what the lawyer's doing. You ask me a question, Jesus? Here is how I respond. The guy completely nails it, and this is, Jesus even summarizes the entire Old Testament just like this in Matthew chapter 22. You can check it out later. Another lawyer actually comes to trick him and trap him and ask him a question, putting him to the test and says, what's the greatest law ever? What's the greatest commandment? And this is the same thing Jesus says. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and he, this is Jesus now speaking to the lawyer, said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Do this, and you'll live. And Jesus' answer is true. If you love God with everything that you have, 
everything that everything in your heart, everything in your soul, everything in your mind, and you love him with all of your strength, and you love your neighbor perfectly as you would love yourself, essentially you're without sin. At that point, you've never done anything wrong, you've never sinned, you're never gonna sin, you are a perfect person. So Jesus says, yeah, if, if you've never broken any of these and you're a perfect individual, then you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. Now here's the problem, no one can do this. No one can do this. That word all is a small word with a big meaning. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love him with everything inside of you. I can't think of a single person in my life that I honestly love with everything that I have. Everything. If I've ever thought a selfish thought pertaining to my wife, guess what? I failed her. I haven't loved her with everything. If I've ever thought a selfish thought in regard to how I love my kids, guess what? I failed them. I haven't loved them with everything. If I've ever thought a sinful thing, that means I have not loved God with all of my mind. It's an impossible thing for us to do. The law justifies no one. Romans chapter three, verses 19 through 24 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. The law creates accountability. It shows us where we fail our God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. By doing the right thing, no one will be made justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge, through the law, no human will be justified in sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now check this out. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Where does righteousness come from? It comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. It comes through faith in Christ alone. That's why when sincere seekers came to Jesus asking the question, what must I do to be saved? He gave them gospel. He said, trust in me, believe in me. Believe in me and then you will have eternal life. But this lawyer, he seeks to justify himself. We actually see in the next thing that the lawyer seeks to justify himself. He's trying to do all the right things, say all the right things, look the right way so that maybe someday God would see him and say, great job, buddy, you really did it. But here we see in Romans chapter three that it's impossible. Jesus says, do this and you will live. It's at this point the lawyer should have been broken under the law and he should have said, I can't. I can't do that perfectly. There has to be another way. But it seems like he's pretty invested to trap Jesus so he doesn't go that route. Instead, he tries to, tries to redeem the situation by further justifying himself. The second point you see in your outline this morning is a story we must consider. A story we must consider. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? I love this response. He just thinks, I've got the God thing under control. Okay, that's the part I'm good at. I'm good at loving God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. It's the neighbor thing. Could you clarify so I can make sure I'm loving the right people? Part of me wonders, is a different way he's thinking of this question in his head, is can you help me not waste my time on the wrong people? Who do I not need to love? That's what I'd really like to know. Who can I just like totally bash on Facebook and not care for? Who can I just totally bash in my family and not care for? I'd really love to know that and then everything else will just fall into place. And what I love here with Jesus is Jesus responds to this uh, who question with the how question. It's not about um, who I should love, it's about how I should be loving people. 
Jesus replies in verse 30, and this is our parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now you maybe have heard this story before and what we see is this was like an 18 mile long road, 3,200 feet decline elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the scene is set that a man, assuming to be Jewish because of the context of the audience Jesus is talking to, has been beaten, stripped of all of his goods, and left for dead. Let's see the response. Verse 31. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest sees him, and he passes by on the other side. Now the priest is the religious leader. He's the one who knows all the rules, and because he knows all the rules, he should probably be doing the right thing. You could think of this guy as like the pastor of the church. It's like the pastor of the church has walked across this scene. This man has been beaten and left for dead. It says that he sees him, so it's not that he's like ignorant of the situation. It's not like, I didn't know. I I didn't know it was a problem. No, he saw the issue. He saw the guy beaten up. He saw the guy left for dead, and then he makes a deliberate choice to pass by on the other side. In my head, he didn't just go like this. He kind of did like one of these things where you get real as far away as you possibly can, even if you're flirting with the edge of a cliff. He wants to get away from this guy who's been beaten. Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, a Levite's another religious leader, he would help the priest, this pastor guy, in the temple. Maybe this guy is gonna get it right. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, so this guy sees him too. He's not ignorant either. He, he sees the issue and knows there's a problem. He also passed by on the other side. Now, both of these guys would have known the Old Testament law, and both of these guys should have known that the Old Testament law mandated Jews to help and love their neighbors, help and love the people around them. But they both choose to turn a blind eye to an obvious problem and pass by on the other side. Uh, An equivalent for us might be coming to an intersection where someone's asking for money and one of the things that we like to do is is just kind of look the other way. And then we'll take one of our hands, depending on which side the lock and the window apparatus is, and kind of put it over there and and then slowly put the window up and lock the doors and turn our music up and pretend like there's not a problem. That's what these guys are doing. Or maybe it's like you're about to go down a grocery aisle, but you see someone who looks a little different than you and you're not quite sure what's gonna happen, so you turn right back around and take a different route to get the milk. Their actions are motivated completely by selfishness. Maybe they uh, are afraid that if they touched him, they'd somehow be defiled, or maybe they feared the robbers were still close by. Maybe they just didn't have the time. Maybe they felt like they didn't have the resources to provide any real uh, adequate help. Maybe they figured someone else would come by and help. I mean, these guys aren't doctors. What are they supposed to do? And this is what we do too, don't we? We we come up with a lot of reasons of why we shouldn't be the person to help. We typically know the right thing to do, but we quickly justify our behavior and think of a reason to not do it. James 4.17 says this, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. See, there's sins in the Bible that are commission, things that we do, but there's also sins in the Bible that are omission, things that we fail to do. It's when we know the right thing to do. It's when we know we should have cared for the people. We know we should have given a little extra to help. We know we should have stepped up to meet the need of those people. We know we should have maybe called some friends and family who were having a rough time recently. 
we know the right thing, but I, I don't know if I'm the right person for that. And I, I just don't have the time. Stuff's crazy right now, and money's tight. I'm not sure if I can really help. We know the right thing to do, but we very quickly justify why we shouldn't. And all of these things are motivated by selfishness, and selfishness oftentimes causes us to miss opportunities God is giving us to make a difference in someone else's life. James chapter two, verses 14 through 17, similar situation, he says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? The answer is it's not good at all. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Oftentimes in the church, we won't say, go in peace, be warm and filled. We'll say something like, I'm gonna be praying for that. I mean, uh, you know, I'll really be praying about that. And you know, we really should be praying about the pain our brothers and sisters are encountering in their lives. But if God has equipped you and set you up to make a difference in that person's life right then and there, how dare we just say, you know, I'll be praying for you. It's no different than just passing by on the other side. God gives us opportunities to make the difference in someone else's life. God gives us opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people who are hurting or the people who are lonely in our world. And when we just miss the opportunities, it doesn't speak very highly of our faith. Passing by on opportunities for our faith to work doesn't say a lot about the so-called faith we claim to have in Jesus. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Well, what's a Samaritan? A Samaritan, um, they were like halfway Jewish, and the Samaritan and the Jews did not get along, like oil and water, right? They just did not mesh, didn't mix, not friends, total foes, equal hate coming from each side. So likely when the lawyer heard this story happening, okay, the, the, the priest came, he didn't step up, like that's a little interesting. The Levite came, he didn't step up, that's a little interesting. When he mentions a Samaritan, the lawyer might have just thrown up in his mouth a little bit. I'm like, you know, we know what he's gonna do. He's not gonna help. When he saw him, same story so far, the priest saw him, the Levite saw him, now the Samaritan sees him, but it says he had compassion. And compassion isn't just a feeling, compassion is action. That's the difference between the two. All of them saw what was going on, and you know what? The priest and Levite may have even felt bad about the situation, but the only person who actually steps up and does something is the Samaritan. It's the person this lawyer would have had an immense hatred towards. And check out how he treats this guy. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds. That's the first thing he does. And I don't know if this guy is carrying like an everyday carry kit where he's got like his different tools and stuff ready to help this guy or if he's just like ripping off extra pieces of his clothing to bandage up this guy's wounds. I don't know. He pulls on, pours on oil. That's something to soothe the pain. He pours on wine. That's something to sanitize it. Then he sets him on his own animal. So now the Samaritan's got to walk to wherever they're going and he brings him to an inn. So now he's going to put this guy up into a hotel and then he takes care of him. Well, not just for a little while. It says the next day 
He meets this guy, helps him, bandages his wounds, puts oil, wine, puts him on his own animal, checks him into a hotel, cares for him throughout the entire night, and the next day says it takes out two denarii, that's two days' wages, and ancient texts actually reveal that a, a, like a, a night's stay at a hotel was like one thirty-second of a denarii. So this guy is ready to put him up for two months. He puts him up for two months in the inn and then gives those to the innkeeper and says, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. He sets him up to stay for two months and then writes a blank check for the guy to continue to be cared for. This is an example of extravagant love. It's an extravagant love that you and I would not show to other people, but it's an extravagant love that you and I would hope someone would show to us. This is what Jesus talks about when he says, love your neighbor like yourself, how would you want to be treated if you were the guy that was beaten up and left for dead? You would want to be treated how the Samaritan treats this guy. And that's the understanding we should have in our world. That's the MO we should have when loving other people. What, what would I want in this situation? Whether it's a big deal or a small deal, we ask the question, what type of love would I want to be shown? This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus is doing, he's showing this guy just how guilty of not upholding all the laws he really is. A third and final point in our time this morning is a command we must obey. A command we must obey. Obey, verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This is what Jesus asks the lawyer. And he responds in verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. Notice how he can't even bring himself to say what? The Samaritan. He won't even say it. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Once again, what would be a proper response from the lawyer? I can't. I can't do that. I can't love someone like that. I'm not wired that way. I, I don't know how I can have that type of love for someone else. And what that does is reveal to us that you and I are broken under the law of God, that you and I are guilty of not following the laws he's put in place. So who is my neighbor? What does Jesus say? It's anyone and it's everyone. Your neighbor might be someone who culture has told you you are supposed to hate. Two big things we learn from this parable before I move on to our conclusion. The first thing is this. You and I can't live up to the standards of God. You and I cannot live up to the standards of God. And then secondly, there is no boundary to real Christian love. There is no boundary to real Christian love. There's no economic boundary. There's no social class boundary. There's no race boundary. There's no gender boundary. There's no sexual preference boundary. There's no political party boundary. If someone's in front of you, God says, love them. Doesn't mean I condone of their behavior. It doesn't mean I see eye to eye on everything with them. It means I love them. It means I care for them. It means I have compassion towards them. This is the standard that God places on this man. It's the same standard that God places on us today. Three points to our message, three points to our conclusion briefly this morning. We need to ask the question, the same question the lawyer asked, how can I have eternal life? 
Notice my question's different. It's not what must I do. There's nothing you can do. That's the point. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can try to do. There's no law we can uphold perfectly. There's no standard we can live by to perfection. It's not going to work. How can I have eternal life? Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means if you think you're perfect this morning, God still says you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verse 23, it says, the wages of that sin is death, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says this, for while you and I were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. While we were dead in our sin, while we were breaking the laws, while we weren't following the commandments, he came and died for you and me. Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10 says this, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then I shall be saved. How can I inherit eternal life? Friends, the answer is rather simple. Trust in Jesus this morning. Trust in him right now. It doesn't matter how many laws you've broken. It doesn't matter how dirty you think you are. It doesn't matter how unlovable you feel. Here's the good news of the gospel. Christ didn't die because we're lovely. Christ died to make us lovely. You can have salvation this morning. The second thing we need to consider the story, have you had opportunities recently to show mercy? What did you do? Did you pass by? Here's a question, who would you stop for? Maybe a better question is this, who wouldn't you stop for? Christ calls us to love anyone that we come across on our path of life. We ought to confess any type of partiality that we have shown. Give that over to the Lord and love like he's called us to love. The third final thing, we need to obey the command. Who can you show mercy to this week? Who can you love that's different than you? In a world where people are quick to see the pain of others and walk the other way, or in a world where people are quick to watch dads try to rally their young, hurt children and carry boxes of donuts and pastries and just sit and stare, may we be the people who step up and do something. May our church become a loving beacon of hope to our community. May we become the people who are known for love. May we become the people who are known as the good Samaritans in our community. I'm gonna invite the band to come on up. In just a moment here, we're going to take communion. Um, If you haven't yet gathered the elements for your house to take the communion, I'd encourage you again, go ahead and pause the video, run back to your kitchen, your pantry, grab some crackers, a piece of bread, some juice, some wine, um, whatever you're gonna use for your family this morning. I love, I love communion because it gives us an opportunity to do three things. It gives us an opportunity to look back, to look in, and to look forward, to look back at what Christ has done for us, to see that God made a way for us to have right relationship with him, that Christ came to die for us while we were sinners, and if we believe in him, then we can be saved and have eternal life. It gives us a chance to look in. This morning, I'd invite you to just look at your own heart and say, man, have I missed the opportunity? Have I dropped the ball? Or maybe this morning you're realizing I have been trusting in my own good deeds. I have been trusting in my own good works. It also gives us an opportunity to look forward, to look forward that someday Christ will return that he'll come back, that he'll take us home, and that we get to live with him forever, that there will be no more 
pain, no crying, nor weeping, nothing anymore because all of the sad and bad and evil things of this world will someday pass away and you and I will get to enjoy being in the presence of our Lord forever. Well, hopefully you've gathered the elements to take communion by this point. Um, it was the, the last night before Jesus, it was the night Jesus was betrayed. He was enjoying a meal with his his 12 disciples and, and during the meal he, he stopped and he grabbed a piece of bread and he broke it and he told them this. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. In the same way he took a cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant my blood poured out for you. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of him. Jesus, we love you. We know that there is no other way to the Father than except through you. God, this morning, would you continue ministering to our hearts for those who feel like they're far from you? May they cry out to you and trust in your grace to find themselves in a relationship with you. God, those this morning who are asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? May they realize there's nothing they have to do, but God has said done, and what is done is that Christ has died and raised again for us. God, help us live with this type of love, a love that loves you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and truly loves our neighbors as ourselves. God, may we respond in heartfelt worship now. God, may we respond in honest worship now. Would we not be concerned about what we sound like in our living room, but would we only be concerned with worshiping and honoring you, the King of kings, the Lords of lords. Jesus, we love you. We ask all this would be done in your name. Amen. Well, if you'd love to chat and pray with one of us, myself, some of the other pastors and staff are live right now. You can go ahead and click that link in the comments if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or the live stream app. We would love to hang out with you, even just say hello, if it's just for a few minutes, if that's what you have. Highlands Church, may we trust in Jesus. May we not trust in the things that we have done, but trust in what Christ has done for us. And may we love every single person that Christ puts on our path with the same extravagant love that he has shown us. We love you guys. God bless you. Have a great week.